If you want to understand God's intent in marriage, all you need to do is go back to Eden. In Genesis we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God took a piece of man, used it to create a woman, and then brought them together to become one flesh. Men and women were created to complement and complete one another physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it is therefore impossible for two people of the same gender to become one, to become one flesh as intended by God. You know, men can obviously be committed to each other as brothers, and women can be committed to each other as sisters. But neither can become what God designed and ordained men and women to become together. Committed, married couple. And if it weren't for current efforts to legitimize what God has declared to be detestable and an abomination, we wouldn't even consider the possibility. But whenever the issue of same-sex marriage is in the news, we're presented with images of what we are expected to accept as committed couples. If we want an honest picture of a God-ordained, Christ-honoring, committed couple, we should look to the 18th chapter of Acts. There we not only find a true couple, we find a couple we would all do well to emulate. A man and a woman who are committed to each other and to the cause of Christ, a couple that is willing to be used any way God wants, a couple that is, in fact, willing to go, willing to stay, willing to confront, and willing to commend. That couple is Aquila and Priscilla. We've already met them, but now we get a detailed portrait of a committed couple. We're studying in Acts, the 18th chapter, ready for verse 18. And Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila, 
In Sankria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Well, apparently, Paul decided it was time to head back to Antioch and report what had been accomplished before going elsewhere. He had been on his second missionary journey now for three years. He had visited the churches in Galatia, planted new churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth, and had spent at least 18 months in Corinth teaching without hindrance since Gallio's ruling had secured his religious liberty and the freedom to evangelize. But now it's time to go, to report in, before hitting the road again. And we're not surprised by that. We expect missionaries to be on the go. They're in the business of fulfilling the Great Commission, and we admire them for their willingness to go. What we don't expect is for ordinary church members to go as well. But here we find Paul putting out to sea for Syria, the country in which we find Antioch, and Priscilla and Aquila go with him. Now, we met this couple when Paul first arrived in Corinth. You remember they were Jewish exiles forced to leave Rome when Claudius ordered them out. They moved to Corinth, and there they set up shop and home, working as tent makers. When Paul arrived, he stayed with them because he was of the same trade. They worked together, they worshipped together, and no doubt they became very close friends. Now, we aren't told when they became Christians, but Paul referred to them as fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And when he decided to leave town, they went with him. Now, there's no way to know for sure why Priscilla and Aquila left with Paul. Some suggest they just happened to be going that way, but I doubt it. I think they intentionally went with Paul because they thought they could be of service to him and to Christ by going. In fact, Aquila may have taken a vow to be of more service to Christ. Verse 18 concludes with the words, In Sancria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Now, it's true that most feel it was Paul who was keeping a vow here. But some manuscripts indicate it was Aquila. And his name is the nearest antecedent to the pronoun he. So if it was Aquila who made the vow, that may help explain why he and his wife went with Paul. They realized that preachers and formally commissioned missionaries aren't the only ones who should be willing to go. Now, the Great Commission is for all of us. And we should all be willing to go if by doing so we can more effectively serve our Lord. Have you ever thought about going? Have you ever thought about going on a mission trip? Or serving on a mission field for a short period of time? Would you consider giving up your job and moving to another city so you could help plant a new church? Some families did that to help Jared get the church established out east. Rather than retire, would you consider buying a motorhome? Not just to 
enjoy, but so you could go around the country helping build churches and volunteering in Christian organizations. There are lots of things that we can do if we're willing to go. And if you feel that God could use you more effectively somewhere else, you should be willing to go. There's a good chance. That's what Priscilla and Aquila did. But on the other hand, if you feel God can best use you where you are, maybe you should stay put. Apparently, our committed couple did just that as well. Verses 19 through 23. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now, he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he departed and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. You know, when it says, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there, I don't believe it means, you know, they left him, that Ephesus was their destination. I believe Paul purposely left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. When they got there, Paul went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and found them unusually receptive to the gospel. You know, rather than drive him out of town, they asked him to stay. I think he really wanted to, but couldn't. He felt a real need to complete his journey and report to the brethren in Antioch, so he promised to return as soon as possible. You know, when he says, I will return to you again if God wills, he's not expressing some vague desire to come back, maybe. He's expressing a heartfelt desire to return, but recognizing the possibility that God might overrule his intention. He saw a real opportunity for ministry in Ephesus. He had wanted to go there on the first part of his journey, but the Spirit, you remember, wouldn't allow it. He was directed to Europe, to Macedonia instead. But now it looked like the time was right for a work to begin. The people wanted him to stay, but he couldn't. He didn't want to leave them without a witness. So there's a good chance he asked Priscilla and Aquila to stay to lay a foundation for the work in Ephesus, to attend the synagogue and to do what they could, and that he would hurry back. You know, and Luke even seems in a hurry to get us back to Ephesus. In verses 22 and 23, he covers 1,500 miles. Boom, 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 boom. You know, Paul landed in Caesarea, went up to Jerusalem, traveled to Antioch, and then started on his third missionary journey, passing through Galatia and Phrygia, Strengthening the churches. Paul is pictured as anxious to get back to Ephesus, where he could rejoin Priscilla and Aquila, whom he had left there, who had most likely intended to travel all the way to Syria with him, but had willingly given up their travel plans in order to stay in Ephesus. And sometimes our commitment to the Lord's work will require that we stay put and maybe give up opportunities for personal enjoyment 
or even advancement. You know, if God is effectively using us somewhere, maybe we shouldn't be looking for greener pastures. We've got to be willing to stay, even if we'd like to move on. Where can I be of the most service? Should be foremost in our minds when contemplating a move. To go or to stay, we should be willing to do either. And Priscilla and Aquila were willing to do both. They were willing to leave Corinth, but they were willing to stay in Ephesus. And because of it, God gave them a very special opportunity to have a major impact on a person who would then touch the lives of many. But just as serving Christ effectively meant they had to be willing both to go and stay, making a difference in Apollos' life meant they would have to both confront and commend. Let's read on. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This is cool. This is cool. Now, Apollos was a well-educated, eloquent, godly man. He was from Alexandria, home of the best library in the world. And he was mighty in the scriptures. He knew them well, which was no small feat in a day when manuscripts were very hard to come by. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He had been taught how to apply God's word to everyday life. And he was fervent in spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but enthusiasm for what he was doing. He was an eloquent speaker who openly proclaimed Jesus was the Messiah, speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. What he knew of Jesus, he spoke and taught accurately. But his knowledge was limited. He was lacking in his understanding of Christian baptism, acquainted only with the baptism of John. Now, he didn't just have a misunderstanding about baptism. He had a lack of, of knowledge about Christian baptism altogether. And he may not have even known about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, let alone the significance of baptism relating to such. He may have only known of John's ministry and John's claims about Jesus and then echoed John's message of repentance and pointed Jewish people to Jesus as the Messiah. His message sounded Christian, but it wasn't complete. And Priscilla and Aquila heard him speaking boldly in the synagogue, but noticed he did not go far enough in his preaching. 
Now, before we look at what they did, we should take note of what they didn't do. They didn't write him off as a false prophet. They didn't dismiss him and tell people they shouldn't listen to him. You know, we've been known to do that. There is a tendency in our brotherhood to warn people about listening to popular preachers who don't go far enough, especially when it comes to baptism. And it is true that most radio and TV preachers don't go far enough in their presentation of the gospel. And I'm sure it confuses people. But that doesn't mean we dismiss them as false prophets. We may need to caution people about their lack of understanding and encourage them to listen critically, but we don't have to write them off. On the other hand, we must not assume that someone has everything right because they're well-educated, eloquent, or on TV. Priscilla and Aquila knew some things Apollos didn't know, some very important things. And they didn't just sit back thinking, well, who am I to say anything? You know, he's more learned than I. What'd they do? They took him aside, perhaps took him to their home, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That is so cool. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for him. It had to be awkward. You know, you invite this stranger into your home and around the table, having a little small talk, and the whole time you're thinking, okay, how do I get to the point? You ever been like that? You know, you really want to share Jesus with somebody. But you just don't know when to get it in there. It's awkward. It's hard. It's hard to confront someone with mistakes or with their life or whatever it might be. It was hard for them, I'm sure, but they were willing to do it. They understood that a commitment to the truth means we have to be willing to confront those who need to know the way of God more accurately. And there are certainly many godly men and women who need to be taught more accurately concerning baptism. Now, they may, weigh, may very well have things they can teach us, and we should be willing to listen. But we have things to teach them as well. We must not be afraid to speak up. There's a tendency today in our brotherhood to ignore baptism because it's controversial, because it sets us apart from the evangelical world at large. How convenient it would be if we could just forget about it. And sadly, far too many churches have done just that. We need to confront if confrontation is needed. Priscilla and Aquila weren't afraid to speak up. But then again, they didn't just sit in the role of critic and corrector of false doctrine. They were also willing to commend, verses 27 and 28. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. 
Now, we aren't told why he wanted to go to Achaia, to Greece and, and Corinth. Maybe he wanted to learn more from the church there, knowing that Paul had spent a year and a half teaching them. Maybe he just had a desire to preach there. Whatever the reason, the brethren, including Priscilla and Aquila, no doubt, were willing to commend Apollos to the brethren in Achaia. A young man they had just met and had to straighten out. They were willing to commend him to the brethren. They encouraged him. They wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And that set the stage for a very effective ministry in Corinth. You know, Luke notes that the believers were helped greatly. And Paul would later write to the Corinthians and say, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. It's the way it's supposed to work. Now, Apollos, it says, powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Even if he didn't win them to the Lord, it certainly encouraged the Christians to see their faith validated by public debate. They looked for good, and they saw good in what he did for them. But this would not have happened if Priscilla and Aquila hadn't been willing to commend Apollos to others. Likewise, you need to commend our church and our ministers and teachers to others. Now, you may not agree with everything the church does or the preachers say. Priscilla and Aquila didn't agree with everything Apollos said or did. But they could see that God was using him. And if you believe God is using our church, if he is speaking through me and Steve, and your family is being blessed by our teachers. Tell others about it. It encourages us, and it's a very effective way for ministry to expand. You know, research indicates that 18% of the people who get involved in a church do so by coming on their own, or because of the ministry, or a class or an outreach program. But 82% come because friends or relatives invite them, encourage them to come, even bring them to church. Now, obviously, the church, the church at large and our church here could use more couples like Priscilla and Aquila. Couples who are willing to go, willing to stay, willing to confront, and willing to commend. Couples as well as individuals who are willing to commit themselves to each other and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Who are willing to honor Him and His Word and live for Jesus, lives that are true.